have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis, and Genesis and chapter 25. We'll especially be looking at verses 19 to 26, but I will read from the beginning of the chapter, pausing briefly as we go. In the span of just a few paragraphs, we're transitioning from Abraham, who has been the subject since the end of Genesis 11, and now we move to Isaac, and then beginning to think about Isaac's son, Jacob. So, Let's pray as we read God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, that every word comes through your hands. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of our Saviour Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. So, Genesis 25, verse 1, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him, and pray for me now, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashem, Letashim, and Leomin. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanok, Abida, and Eldar. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. So, just pause in this, these verses. They establish Isaac as the, the legitimate heir. Abraham had other sons, and after Sarah died, he married Keturah. And there were some other concubines, and he had other sons. But verse 5, he gave all that he had to Isaac. So, Abraham's inheritance went to Isaac. There is a distinction between the official inheritance to Isaac and then the gifts to his other sons. And notice he sent them away. And we've already seen in Genesis that if you send away to the east, that's sending away from the presence of God, away from the promise. And so Abraham sends them away, not so much as a punishment, but to signify that Isaac is indeed the son of the promise. Isaac is the promised line. Isaac receives the promised inheritance. Verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael his sons buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. And after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at the Laharoi. Now Abraham was 75 when he left Haran, and he lived in the Promised Land for a hundred years. Verse 8 says he died in a good old age. And there was an explicit promise in Genesis 15 to Abraham that he would die at a good old age. And it's fitting at the end of Abraham's life, two realities are highlighted. Do you remember Abraham's cave? We looked at that recently. He was buried in the cave of Machpelah. And then chapter 23, Abraham had bought the cave at Machpelah as a burial plot for Sarah. 
and she was buried there, and now Abraham is buried with Sarah. And that's significant because of the whole land that is promised to Abraham. This is the only peace that he actually purchased. The only thing in his official possession was the cave at Machapelah. So as a first fruit of the promise, reaching its fulfilment, Abraham is buried in Machapelah with Sarah. In the same way that the empty tomb is our guarantee of eternal life with Christ. And then the other reality in verse 11 is God blessed Isaac. God had come to Abraham in chapter 12 and said, I'm going to bless you with the sevenfold blessing. So the bookend of Abraham's life is to say that blessing is now passed on to Isaac. So the blessing that God promised Abraham is now passing on to Isaac. Chapter 12, sorry, verse 12. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, brought forward to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Nebeloth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedah and Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jetua, Napfish, and Kedemar. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Ishmael did not receive the promise and his descendants settled outside the promised land. He received something, 12 princes, 12, the number of fullness and completion. This is the last we hear of Ishmael. It's the last thing we're told he settled over against all of his kinsmen. Just as was predicted in Genesis 16, Ishmael's hand would be against everyone. And we see with Abraham and with Ishmael that the conclusion to their lives is fitting. It's like a bow to their lives. Now we come to our text for this morning, Genesis 25, verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethel, the Aramean of Padamaram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The other shall serve the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, Behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. And afterward his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was sixty years old when she bore them. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. 
There are 10, if you write at the beginning, 10 told of sections in Genesis. Um, 10, where it says, this is the generation of. There is one in verse 12, it's really short. These are the generations of Ishmael. That's one of the 10 told offs in Genesis. And then there's another one in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac. But it's more about Isaac's sons, really, than Isaac. Maybe the story is really familiar to you. Rebecca had two sons jostling within her. And the first to come out is red. Not like a redhead, but ruddy, reddish of complexion and exceptionally hairy. The word for hairy in Hebrew is seah. It sounds like seah, which is where the Edomites will eventually dwell. And the name red is Adon, which sounds like Edom, which is the other name given for Esau. Now the second son comes out holding on to the heel of Esau, and his name is Yaakov, which means he grasps the heel, Jacob. And from the womb and from the day of their birth, these two were struggling. The younger, though in spite of the culture, should have been subservient to the older. The younger brother should have been subservient to the older brother. But God says, I'm going to turn that upside down and the younger will be stronger than the older and the older will serve the younger. Overturning the principle of primogeniture. But what is really going on here? It is more than a story about a really interesting birth. What is this meant to tell God's people? What is it meant to tell us? Beyond and behind these details about one smooth-skinned child that came out holding the heel of a hairy child. What is this story about? How did we get here? That's what it's about. How did we get here? If you were an Israelite, reading this some centuries later, Moses wrote this and maybe hundreds of years later the Israelites were reading this, maybe you were reading it on a scroll or somebody had passed it down to you or your parents were telling you around the campfire. This is a story to remind them as the Israelites where you came from. This is a story where they came from. Now, almost all of the famous epic films have origin stories. Can anyone think of any? <coughs> Go on. Avengers. Avengers. Avengers is one. So they do the film and then they have to do origin stories to explain how it all happened. Darth uh, uh, Star Wars. Darth Vader is Luke's father. That's interesting to anyone at all. Or have a Harry Potter, Voldemort, a curse and a mark of lightning on his head. X-Men, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. Now there's an interesting one, I know that one. There was a high school kid who got bit by a spider. Lord of the Rings is just a backstory, by the way, and then loads of more backstories. And Disney films, by the way, is a really dangerous place to be if you're a parent. Have you ever thought about that? Because, you know, the Lion King, the parents die. Frozen, 
The parents die. Tarzan, the parents die. Finding Nemo, Snow White, Bambi, and Mulan. <laughs> Princess and the Frog. Parents is a very dangerous place to be if you're in Disney. And if you're of another generation, if I've missed a generation, how about Morse? Anyone here watch Morse? Come on. They had to write Endeavour. There's origin stories to explain how it all happened. But there is a reason. There's a reason that it explains the origin. Every country has an origin story. If you're American, yours is a lot younger than ours, but never mind too much. And, but your origins, your family history, is something you repeat, something that you retell. But it explains who you are, why you are here, where you came from. Churches have origin stories. This is a you know, this has a long history of God's faithfulness. The birth of the twins in Genesis 25 is the origin story of God's people. It's the origin story of the people of God. Now, of course, it goes back to Abraham, and of course, it goes back to Adam. But this is the beginning in one sense, because the birth of Jacob, because Jacob will later be called Israel. So God's people are the Israelites. Now they were children of Abraham, father Abraham, but they weren't called the Abrahamites. Maybe it's just difficult to say, but no, but they were called the Israelites. It was their namesake. They were sons of Jacob. So if you imagined yourself as an Israelite leaving Egypt, awaiting your place in the promised land, hearing this story, this is what God has done for you. The plagues on Egypt to save you, to bring you out, to give you the law. And as Moses writes this down, you're on the cusp of entering the promised land, or maybe you're under David or Solomon in the glory days, or maybe in the darkest moment of your history in Babylon, you'd go back to this story and it reminds you who we are and where we've come from. And as those of us, by faith, children of the promise, we've been grafted into the olive tree, but the Gentiles by faith, we can say for us, if you're in Christ this morning, this is our story. This is our backstory. This is our origin story. So we're meant to think about whether we're in the moments of greatest triumph or in the darkest pit. We need to think of our origin story. How did Jacob come into the story? And the answer is staring us in the face. There are two things that we're meant to see in Israel's origin story and in our faith origin story. And we see them in Jacob's birth, that God created him and God chose him. First of all, God made him. God made him. Now that's true of everyone, of course. Every life is owing to God. But the point is underlined here because Rebecca, like Sarah, was barren. Just do the maths. Isaac was buried at 40. The twins are born when he is 60. So 20 years not quite as long as Abraham and Sarah had to wait, but 20 years of their married life 
Rebecca was barren. Isaac and Rebecca don't resort to another woman. They're truly monogamous. They're not going to try another work in a way, a maidservant. This is going to take a miracle. So Isaac prays. You see that in verse 21, and the Lord granted his prayer. Of course, every new life is from God. If you have children, you know that they're a gift from God. And children are a gift from God. God is the maker of us all. But this is a unique point, one that we're not meant to forget. We can say in a sense that God made these twins ex nihila, out of nothing. Because by emphasising that the couple were unable on their own to have children, God is telling us that this is a unique miracle. So these children were not the inevitable outworking of ordinary biological function. We realise children are a gift, but there is, this is what we thought would happen. This is what we thought would happen. You get married, you come together, you have children. I still remember a, 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 how pleasantly surprised I was in William and Kate's wedding. We watched it in Vienna. And they still said then that marriage is for the procreation of children. But here it took 20 years to the point where Isaac and Rebecca knew that this wasn't just going to work by their own natural function. If they were to have children, it would take a supernatural work of God. One response to this is to give thanks for life. I think we should give thanks for life because we should not be here. And that's what the Israelites would have remembered. We should not have been here. Those centuries later, when they swelled to be millions in number, if they look back to the story of Jacob's birth, they would remember, we should not be here. It was biologically impossible. By the laws of nature, we shouldn't exist. Our lives are a gift. Do you think about that? The children of Israel would have looked back and said, it took a miracle for us to be here. So it's good to remember and give thanks. But more profoundly, they were to remember on a spiritual level, they came into being because God made them. We owe our existence as the people of God to his mercy, his power, his will. John 1 verse 13, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you are here this morning and that's one of those daft statements I make, isn't it? Because you are here, because I can see you. That is amazing. That is amazing that you're here. But if you're here and you're a born-again Christian, that is absolutely amazing. Because that's a miracle on par with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That you are here and you're born again on par with Isaac and Rebecca having children after 20 years when they had no biological rationale at all. And God said, let there be life. And there was life. It sounds so prosaic, but if we believe that God made us and he gave us life, spiritual life, that has massive implications. Because if your existence is owing to the creation of God, that means, by default, we should be thankful people. Are you a thankful person? Are you a thankful person? Thankful to God? Do you thank him every day that you are his? 
It means that we should be humble people, that we should be obedient people. It means that we say, I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to my Saviour, Jesus Christ. It means that God tells you how to use your body. It means that God gives you your identity. We do not establish it for ourselves, let alone defining God and his identity. It means that every person in this room who truly belongs to God is a miracle of supernatural sovereign grace. That is the point. They were to remember their mother, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, Rebecca. And her womb was as good as dead, but here we are. And they were then to think that our spiritual lives were as good as dead, but we're here because of God. God called into existence the things that were not. He made us. He made you. You're not an infinite, virtually process of random chance. But God made you. God knew you. God formed you. And it sets us on a trajectory of thankfulness, yes. obedience, humility and faith. Remember where you came from. God made you by a miracle. And secondly, God chose you. The story of these twins and their gestation and their birth was to explain the lifelong tension between Esau and Jacob, the centuries-long conflict between the Edomites and the Israelites. So part of this is to explain why did Jacob and Ishmael, why did they have such a hard time? And as my son asked me this morning, why Jacob, not Esau? Why do we have such a hard time with the Edomites? We see it from the very beginning, verse 22. There's children struggling together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And notice as an aside, they are children. They, they do not become children if they, we choose to birth them. They were children from the moment of conception. They weren't a clump of cells. They weren't beings with a fetal heartbeat. They were children. They were children. And anyone who has had a miscarriage will tell you that was a child. And these children, they were children in the womb and they struggled within her. It's a strong verb. Some commentators translate it, they were crushing one another. I like that. You know, so when brothers or sons, they're crushing one another, they can just say, I've just been biblical, mum. But that's probably a little bit of a... <laughs> journey. But from the beginning in their life, there was a violent collision with these twins. So much so Rebecca in verse 22 said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? This wasn't, Isaac come over and feel the baby moving. Did you feel him kick down? Did you feel him that little kicky? No. It's just, I have to lie down because they're hurting each other and they're hurting me. What is happening? This wasn't just little baby movements of fluttery, fluttery. So the Lord comes to her. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. We've seen it in the book of Genesis already, families fight. We don't want it to be so. We want to grow and love one another. But here's some small comfort that the Bible is realistic. The Bible is about origins, about beginnings. 
but it's, and it's about blessing, but it's also about families fighting. Cain and Abel, the sons of Noah, Abraham and Lot, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Laban, Joseph and his brothers. There's a lot of family conflict. And in verse 23, we read, we read that the natural order of things is going to be overturned. Cain was older, his offerings were rejected, Abel's were accepted, Cain was banished, Abel was killed, and Seth became the chosen line. Ishmael was older than Isaac, Isaac is the promised line. Rachel is chosen instead of Leah, Joseph instead of his older brothers, and Judah instead of Reuben. There's a common theme in the Bible, common theme in Genesis. God often does things in ways we do not expect. And that, in a way, is a great comfort to us. We looked last week briefly at the, um, the begats in Matthew and how in the line of Jesus Christ there are very unexpected people. And that's a reassurance to me, great reassurance to me. As sinners, there is a place for us. But it's all throughout the book of Genesis that is different. I didn't see that coming until you've seen the pattern and then maybe expect the unexpected. But more importantly than simply overturning the cultural norm, this is a story about election. Because for all the years and the centuries afterward, the Israelites were meant to think, let us not forget how we got here. Why are we special? Why are we God's treasured possession? Why are we a holy nation? Why are we a royal priesthood? And the answer is in their origin story, because of God. Because God chose you. Lest they say it must be a family connection. We can't say that, same mother. Maybe it's an ethnic thing. No, you can't say that, they're both Shemites. Well, surely there was something they had done that made them a little bit better. Surely there was something that they had done that made them more deserving. But God says, no, you cannot do that because this was before you were born, before you had done good or bad. I said, Jacob will be mine. And Paul makes this point and applies it to believers in Romans 9. Though they had not yet been born and done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because him, of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. It's essential we understand, God wants us to understand, as part of our origin story, the doctrine of election. Now some would say, Pastor, that's so divisive, that's so difficult, and loads of Christians see that differently. Do you have to talk about it? Well, we have to talk about things if they're in the Bible. God is sovereign. What about human responsibility? Both are true. What about my family members? What about the fairness? There are so many questions you have, and this is not the time to go into that, but it's to make sure we don't miss the big point that if you sit here this morning, and if you are a believer by God's grace, and if you are a Christian, or take it collectively as a church, as God's people, why am I a Christian? It's only because of the grace of God. It's only because of the grace of God. I know lots of people that are not. Why are we in here singing songs to Jesus this morning? Why are there hundreds of people walking past this door? 
rushing towards a lost eternity. Why are we here? How did we get here? Where did we come from? And there's only two options. There's only two options. Either because you're better than other people. That there's something in you. There's just something in you that's a little bit softer. A little bit better. A little more deserving. Just a tad more worthy. Oh, it's God. To him be the glory, great things he has done. God chose us. God put his love on us. And the right response is to fall on our face in worship. The right response is you think about the loved ones in your lives that don't know Jesus. Well, there's hope for all. Never stop praying, brothers and sisters. Never, ever stop praying that God would have mercy on your family members who don't know Jesus. Never, ever stop praying. Because it doesn't depend on me. I must exercise faith, but I can only exercise faith as God grants me the gift of faith. Jesus said, you cannot come unless the Father draws. You simply won't do it. But Jesus says, he will never cast anyone out. So don't think that you could come to Jesus and Jesus says, let me check my list. And Jesus says, you came, and you know why you came? Because the Father drew you. He chose you before the foundations of the world. God made you. God chose you. How do we get here? There are other parts of the story. There are secondary causation in the story, but that explains our story. And I believe this morning we're meant to see, just like the Israelites were, it isn't because of your family. I hope you don't think that being a Christian is a family thing. I am so thankful, I am so thankful to God that I was raised in a Christian family. What a privilege that my parents loved me enough to pray with me, to read me the Bible. And if you have parents, if you're a young person this morning, just listen up. If your parents bring you to church and they raise you in the Lord and they pray for you and read you the Bible, that is a wonderful privilege. And that is good. And you want to follow in their footsteps, but you need to make it your own. You cannot just say, my family does this. You have to make it your own. So you're not here because it's a family thing. Though God loves families. It certainly is not an ethnic thing. Because your race, your ethnicity, the colour of your skin does not make you one tiny bit closer or one tiny bit further away from God and his mercy. We stand on that 100%. So it's not anything that you have done. And it isn't that God looked into the future and said, he'll make a really good decision. No, Paul makes the opposite conclusion. The reason why this choice happens here, because God does not look and say, Jacob, because if you look at Genesis, Jacob isn't great. His name actually means trickster. But God, God said, I will set my affection on you. So it isn't anything you have done. It's not your works. It is God's call. And it's not your purpose. It is God's purpose. We must remember as God's people where we have come from. God made us. This is so pressuring. 
Because the world is always telling you stories. And today, like never before, the, the world tells you a story about where you came from. The world will tell you a story how you got here. And the world will tell you a story about where you're going. And it's empty. There's no hope. There's no eternity. And as many of these stories in the world are lies and they're half-truths, which is the worst kind of lie. But we must be absolutely rock-solid, 100% convicted that we were made through Christ. We were chosen in Christ and we were saved by Christ. You will live for eternity with Christ. You belong to Christ. You believe in Christ and you obey Christ. It's all Christ. That's our story. That's our story this morning. That's how we got here. And that's where we're going. Christ. So in the darkest, deepest moments, in those dark, deep moments, we can say, I don't see how this is going to end, but God made me, God chose me, and he will work it out. So it gives humility in the moments of prosperity and it gives hope in the moments of adversity to remember who you are, where you are from, and hallelujah, where you're going. May the Lord bless the word for his glory. Amen. Amen.